You don't talk to me like that. Shut up. You don't talk to me I like that. No one, no one talks to me like that. Okay. Well, there you go. There's the engine. Dead. Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. All right, welcome everybody, good to have you with us. Uh, welcome to our guests. Really glad you're here, and we're still doing some remodeling around the lobby. Still got some more to go there and get some more signage up for you, so if you're wandering around the building, sorry about that. Uh, it's going to look nice, though, once it's done. And welcome to those of you who are watching online. Glad that you could join us. We would love to be able to see you in person very soon. Uh, we're, you're here at a good time. We're starting a brand new series of talks, four talks, uh, that we're calling Full. And have you ever played this game? I have. I've played it many times. Called How Far Can I Go While Still Sitting on E? You know, while you're driving your car, you know that uh, it it's, says E, but you think you can push it a little bit further, right? You ever play that? Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Um, how, how many of you, though, are, are more mature on this and more security-minded? And you never let your tank get below a half a tank. I mean, you always keep it between a half tank to a full tank. Come on. Put your hands up if you're the more... A reasonable, sensible people. Okay. Wow, there's not many here. So, how many of you like to play that game and you keep it below a half, below, below a quarter tank? How many of you, you, you like to ride that last bar, man, until, until it's, it's dry? Okay, well, now I know who I'm talking to. So, <laughs> that, that's a game that you do not want to get played down river too much, man, because there's trains, right? <laughs> And there's traffic. But we're heading back to this book of 1 Corinthians that we've been in throughout the year, uh, which is just a, a church full of messed up, dysfunctional believers who are struggling with all kinds of controversial issues and bad behaviors in this major Greek city that Paul started the church there. And when news got back to Paul, when, when he's somewhere else, 
All these questions start pouring in from this church, and so he has to write this letter to correct them. And I think his correction is needed just as much, if not more so today, than back then. Because these three chapters that we're going to be going through in these four weeks, chapters 12 through 14, deal with issues surrounding the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do a little bit of Theology 101, okay? The Holy Spirit is God. God reveals himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's difficult for us to understand. It's a little mysterious because there's nothing really for us to compare it to. Nothing else like it. And yet God is not three gods. He is one God in three, which makes him what we would call a trinity. And why that's significant for us is that when God, the Son, Jesus, was on this earth... Uh, he was in a, a physical body, and so he was limited and could only be in one place at one time with so many people around him. But when he died on the cross, he went back, he rose from the dead, went back to heaven, went back to the Father. He sent us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, which means he's not limited by a physical body, which means he's not only with us and beside us like Jesus could be, but he's also in us. He indwells us, and that's something that, that uh, no other people in all of time have ever experienced other than Christians who have placed their faith in Christ. We are, we're literally filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's lots of confusion and controversy about what that means because different Christians and, in fact, entire denominations have different understandings and experiences of what it means to be filled with the, with the Spirit. And i I'll just let you know, you may not agree with the way that I'm going to present this, but we're going to try and sort our way through these, these topics over these coming weeks and working our way through Paul's teachings because more than anything, I want you to be able to understand the purpose of being filled with the Spirit. Yeah, to understand that He comes to empower us to live like Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us to make us holy. All right? And so that's the most important thing is that you're learning to become like Jesus. His role is, is takes it beyond what Jesus did. See, because Jesus died on the cross to forgive us so that God would look on us as if we were sinless. That's why you know you can go to heaven. You have assurance of that because God sees you as sinless. But then the Holy Spirit comes to live in you so that you can sin less and less and less and less. That's his main role. He, he convicts you of sin. He changes your heart. He redirects your will to the purposes of God. He helps you to understand and apply scripture. He, um, he gives you this deep and abiding love for Jesus. In other words, what I'm saying is you can't live for God without the power of the Spirit. You can't do it on your own. In fact, even, even when uh, we talk about the, the Spirit, we need to think of it in terms of it's not something we, we do, something we can earn or deserve. It's a gift, and so uh, that's why I brought this gift, is when you become a Christian, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Peter says, when you're baptized into Christ, you receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or as Paul puts it, we receive the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Or as Jesus put it, we're born of water and the Spirit. So every Christian has the gift of the Spirit. You can't live for God without it. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You can't do it alone. So, but I don't want you to get this impression that the Spirit is some sort of 
emotional or mystical feeling. Like you walk into an auditorium like this, you go, oh, I can really feel the Spirit. Well, it's really more than that. The Spirit is one who helps you to live for Jesus. And so that, that means that you don't come in here on the weekend to get filled up like a bucket full of, full of water. And then you leave out of here and by Monday you, you had a hole in your bucket and all the water leaked out. It's not like you leak the Holy Spirit and you go from full to empty in a day. It, 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 he doesn't operate like that. There's more to living by the Spirit than just receiving this one-time gift. We all get the one gift. But Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In fact, what he's using there is a present tense verb, which really means keep on being filled with the Spirit. So you get the gift, but then you keep on being filled by the Spirit. And, and what does that look like? How, how does that work? I don't know exactly, but I, I I see how he contrasts it with wine. <laughs> Some of you know what it means to be filled with wine, right? It's not an amount of wine that makes you full, <laughs> okay? Because the idea of getting drunk, how much wine does it take to get drunk? Well, for some people, a lot. <laughs> for some people, a glass or two. It's not about having a gallon of wine or a cup of wine. You're full of wine when you're under the influence of the alcohol, right? You're full of the Spirit when you're under the influence of the Spirit. It's not like I've got a gallon of the Spirit and you've got two gallons of the Spirit. Are you living under the influence of the Spirit? So being full of the Spirit isn't exactly like driving a car and playing how far can I go sitting on E. It's not like you came in here today, you're getting all refilled and refueled for the week ahead, and now as you go out into the world and you encounter all kinds of problems and worries and burdens and issues and stuff that you got to go through, and by the end of the week, you're just, uh, you've run out of gas, and so you got to come back in here next week to get refilled again, or unless you're one of those people who really like to play that game, how far can I go, and you wait a month or two months till you get back to church, and you say, oh man, I'm really bone dry, i got to get refilled. What I'm saying is, you can stay full of the Holy Spirit all the time. It doesn't matter how far you go this week or what you do or what you encounter, you can remain full of the Spirit all the time. So we're going to talk about different marks of being Spirit-filled over the coming weeks. And today we're really not going to talk about the gift of the Spirit so much as we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gifts every Christian with different abilities to serve God with. And some, everybody gets at least one gift, maybe two, you might get three or more, I don't know. But every Christian has these spiritual gifts to serve the Lord with. And you think about Jesus, even he served. His ministry was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so our service is by the power of the Spirit. But those Corinthian Christians back then, they had so many issues with this because they didn't understand the role of the Holy Spirit. And so they were all messed up, misusing and abusing these gifts. They didn't know what they were supposed to be using them for. So they were using them to build up themselves and to show off. And it wasn't about that. Sadly, that stuff's still going on today. So we still need this correction just as much back then. So I want to give you a little bit of an overview of this and uh, to understand that we're going to break this down into like two kinds of gifts. There are those that we would call maybe practical or normal kinds of gifts, but then there are miraculous kinds of gifts. And the distinction is that some Christians believe that all of the gifts are still available today, including the miraculous ones. 
Other Christians say, no, we don't have the miraculous gifts any longer, but we still do have the normal practical gifts. I don't think anybody's saying there are no gifts available today, but which kind are available? And do you know which side of that you fall on? I mean, maybe you weren't even aware of that. I, I think because there are both sides to this question, we tend to look at the other side a little bit suspiciously, right? Or we're not even aware uh, that there is this kind of a division, this kind of, of split between spiritual gifts and, and understanding them. So I'm going to try and give it a shot and show why there are these two sides and see which side you come down on. And it comes down to the purpose of the gifts. It's clear that we need gifts, but which ones? So for instance, a, like a normal practical gift would be the gift of teaching, right? Because that's what I'm doing right now. But that's not a miraculous gift, is it? I mean, nobody is sitting there right now going, wow, how is he able to do that? That is miraculous. Right? Nobody, nobody's thinking that, right? Somebody could kind of say, yeah, a little bit, maybe. No? All right, well, no. But if I were prophesying, oh, now prophecy is a miraculous gift. It's not just teaching. This is when you're getting direct revelation from God. Stuff that only God knows. You know, somebody God told me. And anybody who has that kind of gift, well, their words can be put in the Bible, right? If I were prophesying, I could take my manuscript and stick it in the Bible and call it the book of Brett, right? Because that's the whole point of prophecy. So th think of another example. Administration. Yes, administration is a gift, a spiritual gift that's used for help in organizing, coordinating the church, it's also a natural kind of ability, but it's one that can be used for God's purposes. That's, that's one of these kinds of practical gifts. Very different from the miraculous gift of healing. If you've got the gift of healing, then you can give sight to the blind. You can raise somebody from the dead. Very different purposes for the gifts, and I'll tell you why. The New Testament talks about certain gifts being miracles, signs, and wonders. And the apostles and the prophets were able to perform miracle signs and wonders. Why? To give evidence that what they were speaking was truly from God. That was the proof that their message was from God. Okay, so I've had plenty of people tell me, or I've heard them say, God told me. God spoke to me and told me to do this or to say that or to go there. And I go, oh, well, how do I know that? How do I know God told you that? And they say, well, I just, I just know it. I feel it. I sense it. Really? I'm going to need some proof. Because I have no idea if God really told you that or not. You got a miracle sign or wonder to prove that? Guess what? They never do. Nobody's ever able to prove that what they're speaking is from God. So I don't know that that was from God. So that's a big deal. Because see what Hebrews 2 says. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was what? It was confirmed. By those, by, to us by those who heard him. Who heard him? Apostles and prophets. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. And by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's why the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Because God gave them revelation. They didn't have a New Testament yet, right? I mean, the, the apostles and prophets were giving the New Testament, and the church gets built on their word. They have this unique role. The, the 12 apostles were, 
specially commissioned by Jesus to be his spokesman and were given authority to prove it by miracle signs and wonders. Guys like Peter and John and later Paul as well. So here's how this plays out today. I'm going to give you some descriptions of these different views of gifts. And it's going to be a little bit of an oversimplification, but it'll give you a handle on it. Those who believe that all of the miraculous gifts are available today, we would call them charismatics because it comes from the Greek word charisma, which means a spiritual gift. So they say all of those miraculous gifts are still around. We still have faith healers have the gift of healing. We have people who are prophesying that God told me. We have people who speak in tongues, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but just, by the way, just because people raise their hand in worship doesn't make them a charismatic, okay? Different issue. We're talking about miraculous gifts, and I think a lot of charismatics can be very Bible-based. They're very respectful of the authority of Scripture as the objective source of authority, but what happens is some charismatics get away from the objective source of scripture and they begin to rely on their own subjective experience and so they become very unbalanced in their approach to to gifts and they even start misusing and abusing some of these gifts you ever been to one of those churches where I mean people are like running around the building and jumping over chairs and shouting out all kinds of weird things and dancing around and falling backwards and and laughing hysterically those people will freak you out because I wouldn't call them charismatics. I would call them charismaniacs because that is not the way you see gifts being used in Scripture at all. They're abusing the gifts. But charismatics generally respect the, the, the limits of Scripture, and they don't get all wild like that. They just believe and practice these gifts like tongues and prophecy because they think they're still needed today, and yet they understand there are some rules to those gifts which we'll get into later in, in 1 Corinthians. But they want to test these things by the Word of God as the highest authority. And some of you come from a charismatic background. And I would guess that the reason why you're here in this church is because you respect the way that we honor Scripture as the objective source of authority and not just our own subjective experiences and opinions. But i got to say, there's also a subset within charismatics that we would call Pentecostals. And Pentecostals are called that, be, named after the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, it was on that day that the Holy Spirit descended and they began to speak in tongues. Now, you read about that in Acts 2, that those were known human languages that they had never studied. The speaker didn't know the language, but God enabled them to speak but today, tongues has become more of a heavenly or angelic language that sounds like gibberish to us, but that is used as more of a private prayer language with God. And so Pentecostals would agree with Charismatics that all of the gifts are still available today. But Pentecostals would take it a step further and say, the proof that you're spirit-filled is that you speak in tongues. Unless you speak in tongues, you do not have the Holy Spirit. And folks, that's just flat out wrong. That's a contradiction of Scripture. Because Paul says right there that all Christians do not have the same gifts. There's the same Spirit. We all have the same gift of the Spirit. But we all have different kinds of gifts. No, no, none of us have all of the same gift, let alone the gift of tongues. All the different kinds of gifts are needed. What's the evidence that we're spirit-filled? It's not tongues. It's not the gifts. Paul says the evidence is that we are able to genuinely say Jesus is Lord and mean it. That we confess and love and obey him. That's the primary proof. 
But then there's another kind of proof that Paul points to in Ephesians 5. He says, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Just as an apple tree produces apples, a Spirit-filled believer will produce spiritual fruit. What's that look like? He says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say it with me, everyone. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because remember, the role of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus, who was loving and joyful and peaceful and all the other fruit. And and so look, uh, you can have a multitude of different gifts, but if you don't have the fruit, the gifts are pointless, they're meaningless. We'll see that later in 1 Corinthians 13. Without love, we're nothing. The fruit is always more important than the gifts. So we got to make sure that we're, we're straight on that. Uh, and here's what, where we're going to go with this. The other side of the, uh, of the debate is that those who would say, we still have gifts, but we no longer have the miraculous gifts, the miracle signs and wonders. Those gifts have ceased. We would call them cessationists. Because they say those gifts are no longer needed. They've served their purpose and they died out with the apostles and prophets and those they laid their hands on. Why? Because the purpose was to confirm the message. And those messengers are gone. They've already, we've got the message recorded for us in Scripture. There's no need to confirm it any longer. And nothing, we're not going to add anything new to the Bible. We're not going to have any new revelation that's equal to the Bible. We, think of it in terms of building a building. The, Scripture says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, on the Word of God, right? What they spoke. And when you're building a building, you you typically are going to put some scaffolding up around the building to support it as it's being built. But once the building is built and it's secure and stable and in place, the scaffolding comes down. It's no longer needed. And a cessationist would say that's what the miraculous gifts were. They were the scaffolding. The building, the church, is in place. It's founded on Scripture. It's solid. We don't need the evidential gifts to prove it any longer. So that's a really different approach, isn't it? Now that's, but look, don't misunderstand and think that a cessationist is saying, well, God doesn't do miracles any longer. Of course God continues to do things that cannot be naturally or humanly explained. Of course God continues to heal people in incredible ways. It's just that we would say, He's no longer giving that gift of healing to specific individuals to give them those kinds of powers. And again, we'll see that in 1 Corinthians 13, some reasons for that. And it's not to say that God can't do anything he wants. God can, God's God. If he wants to give whatever gifts, he'll do it. Uh, but what we're saying is we're not seeing those kinds of gifts being exercised today here like they were in the New Testament. A cessationist would say, well, maybe God would still give those gifts in other Context and special circumstances in mission fields around the world where they still don't have the scriptures in their own language and they would need some direct revelation they would need some miraculous power to combat the powers of, of whatever darkness they're dealing with there uh, of course we would be open to that but that's not what we're seeing take place in our culture today and that's the position I would take that's the way we teach it as a church uh, don't rule out charismatic experience completely but let me say I don't see the miraculous gifts the miracle signs and wonders being performed today in any credible way 
like they were when Peter and John and Paul were doing them. So we don't teach or practice miraculous gifts when we gather together. Nobody's going to prophesy new revelation. There's not going to be speaking in tongues in our worship assemblies, and we'll talk about that more in 1 Corinthians. But understand, we have people on both sides of the issue here, and we love each other, and we're all Team Jesus, and we're all... Uh, uh, trying to follow the scriptures as best as we can. So you're welcome to have your own understanding on that as long as you don't make it a test of fellowship, that you don't stir it up as a point of contention and cause division in the church and that you look down on those who have a different opinion on you than you do because the purpose of the gifts is not to divide the church, not to tear down the church, but to strengthen and build up the church. We should never misuse or abuse spiritual gifts at all they're not for your own benefit they're not for you to show off or show how spiritual you are it's for the benefit of serving others and this is where we get our big idea today it is when Paul says this in 1st Corinthians 12 7 everybody out loud together with me would you now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good are you kidding me each one of us has a manifestation of the Spirit every single one of us has some sort of demonstration or display or expression of the Spirit within us like Jesus to do ministry for him, I don't care if it's one gift, two, three, or more, God's given you a gift, and, and here's the key. It's for the common good, and that's our big idea today, is that you're gifted for the common good. Not for yourself, but for the church. And whatever your gift is, you are needed. God put you here for a reason. Do you know what your gift is? Because if you don't, Figure it out. Find out. I mean, that just means experimenting, serving in different ways. A lot of times it's just trial and error and listening to people who, who maybe can confirm, yes, I think you have this gift or maybe you don't have that gift. Another way you can find out is to take a spiritual gifts test. We have one online. Go to team.southpointccc.com and take that test there. Write that down. Take the test. Listen, it's not the final word. It's not definitive, but it could be very helpful for you. But I, you know what? I don't think every gift is even listed for us in the New Testament. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing and miracles and prophecy and discernment and tongues and interpretation of tongues. But guess what? He adds even more in Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But then Peter comes along and he adds even more. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And you know what? There may be even more gifts than those. Because let's face it, some of you are highly gifted musically, artistically, you're craftsmen, you're, you're technical. Now, I don't know if those are all actually spiritual gifts I mean I don't know if we can just say anything is a spiritual gift like I have the gift of baking or I have the gift of basketball you, know, you can those, those are all gifts in that God has blessed you with these talents 
so I don't know if I call them spiritual gifts, but I do know that God can use any ability you have for his purposes. He'll put all of your talents to work. And that's why a variety of gifts are needed. What you bring to the table is needed. Uh, our gifts complement one another because sometimes I need to be encouraged. And sometimes I need to be shown mercy. And sometimes I need to be led and sometimes I need to be taught. That's why we need each other. Here's a couple of important questions, though. You may say, well, when do I get my gift? Well, you may get your gift when you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you may still be dripping from baptism, and boom, there it is right there on the spot. For others, though, it might come later. There might be some sort of a delay. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I think God just takes something you already have a natural ability at. He gifted you with a talent at birth, or you've developed a skill through experience or education, and he'll sanctify that. He'll just take it and start using it for ministry. And so your ministry may be centered around your natural skill just as much as your spiritual gift. Now, second question would be, all right, well, Brett, you're saying that I have to be gifted in order to serve. Okay, then. Well, what if I don't have the gift of mercy? Does that mean I don't have to listen to anybody talk? I don't have to pray for anybody? I don't have to go visit anybody in the hospital? No, it just means some are especially good at showing mercy. All right, I'm not one of them. All right, so if you're in the hospital and I show up, I'm like, hey, get better. You know. But others with that gift, they're going to come along and they're going to hang out with you and pray and love you. And, you know, and you'll probably, they, they'll pray for you and you'll probably get better. I don't know if I have that gift either. So... You say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to share my faith. No, just some people are exceptionally good at evangelizing. Well, <laughs> you know what? I don't have the gift of giving, so I'm just going to let that bucket pass right on by, right? Lord, you didn't give me that gift. Sorry, too bad. No, it just means some are especially good at being generous. Well, I don't have the gift of, of serving. I don't have the gift of helps, so I don't have to move chairs or set up tables or pick up trash. No, 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 come on. Come on. Just some people are especially good at doing behind-the-scenes support kind of roles. Sometimes ministries just need to be done because they need to be done, and you don't have to be gifted to do them. I mean, let's face it, you don't have to be gifted to serve in the nursery. Oh, I don't have the gift of taking care of babies. Well, babies need somebody, so somebody needs to do it. I don't care if you have a gift or not. They just need you. You don't have to be gifted to serve and shift with our teens. I mean, you probably have to be a little bit off, but you don't have to be gifted. <laughs> to do it. They just need you to volunteer and be there with them. How can I help? You don't have to be gifted to do laundry, but you know what? Baptism towels have to be laundered, and you don't have to have the gift to, to, to feed people who are hungry. You just show up. That's what I, I love that servant heart that says, I don't know what my gifts are, but I'll keep serving somewhere. Lord, put me in. Put me in at the point where I can make a strategic contribution where put me in at the greatest demand at the critical need and I'll keep serving and while I'm serving I'll ask and I'll pray God to move me to the place where I can make the biggest difference where my my special uh, set of, of gifts and talents can be used but until then God I'll just faithfully serve you in whatever way I can and I love that but here's the deal if you don't know your spiritual gift Keep sample serving and experimenting until you find your sweet spot where you say, okay, now I know this is it. This is what I was made for because I love what I'm doing. I enjoy this. I have a heart for it. I'm good at it. And I feel God's pleasure when I'm doing that. That's the way I feel in my ministry. And I know God wants you to feel that way too. 
So we're going to talk more about that next week, and I really hope you're going to be back ready for more and already thinking about who you're going to invite to join you next week. But I believe that God brought you here to serve because you are needed. You bring something to the table that's needed here, and if you're not here showing up doing it, then something's missing, and the body is not functioning like it should. We're not as strong and growing as we should be. You have got some sort of gift to bless God's people with, to build his kingdom, to grow his family. In fact, you are a gift to this church because he's given you talent, skills, abilities, resources, passions, burdens to meet needs and make a difference. Don't let that go to waste. We're here to help you. We can guide you. We can teach you. We can encourage you. We can resource you. We'll do whatever it takes. But you are gifted for the common good. So go ahead. Open it up. Discover what your gift is. Take it out. Start using it. Sample serve. Find a team. Talk to a leader here. Talk to me. Anybody. who We're here to help you because we need you. Because you have a ministry. You are a minister. Let's pray about that. Father, we're so grateful that you have given us a purpose. You've given a, you have a plan for our lives for every one of us. And Jesus, we just, we love you so much for what you've done for us. We love your word because it leads us to you. Holy Spirit, we love you because you lead us to Jesus and you make us more like him. And we just want to keep being filled more with your presence. We want to be under your influence. But Father, I know right now there are some who need to pray this kind of prayer and say, Lord, what, what, would, what would you show me to do? I mean, where, where do I start? Where's my part? What's my part here? I mean, you brought me here, what do I do? What, what passions and dreams and desires and abilities do I have uh, that, that I'm supposed to be using? Lord, I want to help build your church. I want to carry out your mission. Help me to find my gift and to cultivate it, to grow it and develop it and make me more effective because we want to do everything for your glory and for good, the good of others. And that's why we're praying it in Jesus' name. Amen.